The following is a sermon from the Vicar and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Forty days of tempting and taunting and threatening anyone, someone from Israel, to come out and fight them. And 40 days later, one finally appeared, a warrior from Israel. You know what surprises me about this account between David and Goliath? is that these these two armies stationed on these two cliffs with a valley between them decided that they were going to fight 1v1. And you know what surprises me more than the fact that they decided that is that when David slung that stone into Goliath's forehead and it sank in and he fell down, that actually meant something. Like, think about that. The Philistines could have in their lines, watching Goliath fall down, they could have just said, and what? You still have to fight the rest of us here. The rest of us warriors, you still have to beat us. But they didn't. They turned and ran like they had already lost. Because in all reality, they had lost. I think this account David and Goliath is the second most epic battle in in the Bible. And what we're about to read is the first most epic battle, the battle between Jesus and Satan. And there's some striking similarities between these two stories. But there's even something more special about Jesus versus Satan. First of all, it's like this battle gets a, a UFC announcement. Right before the fight, Jesus at, or God at Jesus' baptism says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit takes him out into the desert for 40 days to be taunted and tempted and threatened. 40 days. And I guess this morning, as we look at this battle between Jesus and Satan, I want you to envision yourself on the top of one of those cliffs, looking down at the valley, except for it's Jesus and Satan instead of David and Goliath. Because what happens there in this battle determines our fate. It's a one-on-one battle, and everything rests on Jesus' shoulders. If he wins, we win. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Gospel comes from Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. 
The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to them, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Please be seated. You know, to, to understand just how epic this battle really was, we got to understand how epic the conditions Jesus was facing. There's a, there's a little sign that, that AA has, and sometimes they leave it on top of our thermostat by the kitchen. And, and it says, halt, like stop. Don't be too, and it's, a, it's an acronym, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And the idea behind that is if you're too hungry or angry or lonely or tired, it's going to bring you back to drinking. The temptation is too great. I was thinking about that sign and how if I'm, if I'm even a little bit hungry, if I miss breakfast in the morning, I'm not a fun person to be around. But Jesus, after 40 days, imagine how hungry and lonely and tired Jesus was. These were epic conditions for Jesus' temptation. But just because the scene was set for the devil doesn't mean the devil could just throw a mediocre temptation at Jesus. I mean, this is the son of God. So Jesus, or the devil, brings his best temptations. And you think about what Jesus would want most at this moment. And of course, it's just a little bread. So the devil says, Jesus, why don't you turn those stones into bread? There's nothing wrong with that. You deserve that, Jesus. You, you deserve a little bread. You're the son of God. Eat. Come on. And as we think about that, what's wrong with Jesus eating a little bread? There doesn't seem to be anything wrong with that. But the devil's in the details. Because Jesus wasn't out in the desert for 40 days going on a camping trip. He was out there because the Holy Spirit had led him out there. He led him out there to suffer 40 days, to be under the same temptations that Israel was for 40 years, yet to do it without sin. The Holy Spirit had brought him out there to suffer everything we've been through, and yet to do it perfectly. 
You know, at the heart of all of Satan's temptations is this accusation. If you truly are the son of God, Jesus, then why, why are you enjoying it? <laughs> like you should enjoy some of the rights of being a son. And really what the devil's doing there is he's trying to switch the order between Jesus' cross and Jesus' glory. He's trying to get Jesus to take the glory before the cross. And what makes that temptation so epic is that if the devil would have even for an instant convinced Jesus to take his glory before the cross, the, de the devil would never have to tempt you again. He'd never have to do anything else in this world because the world would already be burning. We would have no hope. We'd already be his. So that's how epic this temptation is. If Jesus falls, we all fall. But even more epic than the, the temptations that the devil could bring was Jesus' victory. I mean, time and time again, the devil came at him with temptations, and it was like Jesus was picking up the smooth stones of God's word, putting them in his satch, and, and slinging at them, them at the devil. And because the devil's bigger than Goliath, it took three, three words from God to, to fight the devil. And the battle didn't quite end there either. So Jesus refuted the devil three times, but the devil didn't die yet. In verse 13, we, we hear that he waited. The devil left for an opportune time. When was that opportune time that the devil came back to fight Jesus in, in a special way? Well, it was when he came to Jesus with Judas, right? And what happened there? The devil came and struck his heel, but Jesus' act of obedience fought the devil, beat him down till he was on the last leg. And when Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, it's like he took that sword like David did and chopped the head off of the devil. And when he rose from the grave, it's like he picked up Goliath's head and showed it to the world that Satan has been defeated. The enemy is defeated, and we've won. It's a pretty epic victory from Jesus. And the thing is that that one-on-one -on -one battle is our win as well. So how do we celebrate how do we celebrate a victory that big, the most epic victory in the world? Well, we could, like, like the Rangers do when, when someone scores a goal, we could all sing a song or like football stadiums, or like we could storm the court. And I think like in college basketball, they do that. There's so much energy, they storm the court. I think that's closer to how we should celebrate. But I think the best way we could celebrate this victory is what we see the Israelites do after David beats Goliath. They charge the Philistines who were running away and they cut every last one of them down. They go and they fight 
and they kill them all. That's how the Israelites celebrate. And I think that's how God is calling us to celebrate as well, to fight, to call the fight. And I know you're wondering, like, if I just said that the Satan, that Satan's head is chopped off, like, why do we have to fight if they're already running away? Why would we need to fight something that's already defeated? And it's a good question, but maybe I can explain it this way. I still remember clearly on like a Saturday morning and there was a snake in our yard at home and my dad went out and he saw it. So he went and grabbed a garden hoe from the shed and he went and he threw it over his head and he chopped the snake's head off. And I don't know if any of you have, have seen this before, what happens after, after you chop a snake's head off, but the head still moves. After it's been decapitated, the positive ions keep the jaw moving and it just, it's really creepy and scary and it left a scar in my brain. But I think that's a good way to think of the devil. He really has been defeated. His head has been chopped off, but he's still around and he still can bite. And we know that because we've been bitten. And the devil is going to try to bite us again. So maybe it'd be helpful for us to think of the ways the devil tries to get close to us and the way the devil tries to get us with temptation, the way he tries to bite us. Because I don't know about in your life, but in my life, the devil doesn't come to me and, and ask me to change stones into bread. And he doesn't take me on a tour around the world to see the glory of the world or take me on top of a temple. But the devil's still around and he's still trying to bite us. So what does it look like? Well, it's not much different than the way he tempted Jesus. And it's that he tries to get us to exchange the glory of this world for now instead of our cross. Like, how many times a day does the devil come to us and say, bow down to me, bow down to me, take your glory now? There's a woman who posts a revealing picture on Instagram, and to a man in his room alone, devil's screaming out, bow down to me, bow down to me. And a woman seeing the same photo with her friends sees the picture and she wants to gossip to all of her friends. Bow down to me. Bow down to me. Or we see an advertisement for something on our phone for a new apartment or a new car, new phone. And we think, man, I can't make this work right now. But if I just worked a little more, maybe if I worked Sundays instead or spent a little less time in God's word, I can make that work. Bow down, bow, down, bow down to me. The devil comes at us in so many ways. And I guess in the past, he used to have to take people on tours around the world to see the glory of the world. But now we kind of do it ourselves. So be careful. Be careful. 
How can we say the devil has been defeated when he defeats us day and day, day in and day out? Martin Luther wrestled with this question. And, and he actually has the answer in one of his hymns, A Mighty Fortress. We're going to sing that as our closing hymn. And, and at the end of this verse, let, let's listen to this verse. At the end of this verse, there's the answer. This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged. The deed is done. One little word can fell him. Martin Luther says that there's one little word that can defeat the devil in our personal lives. What is that one little word that can defeat the devil? Well, the answer is kind of funny because Martin Luther had two choices for this one little word. And the first option that he had was Christ. When the devil says, look at yourself, you're a failure. Look at what you did. You can't be a son of God. You can't be a daughter of God if you sin like that. And we can say, yes, I am a failure, but Christ. Yes, I'm a failure, but I've seen Christ chop off your head. I've seen Christ defeat you in my place. Yes, I'm a failure, but Christ. So that's our first, that's our first answer, our first one little word. And the second option Luther gives us is this. It's to say liar to Satan. When he tries to convince us that there's no way God could love us after what we did, that there's no way we could be in the family of God after what we've done. Call him a liar because the word of God tells me something different. God in his own word tells me that Jesus suffered and died in my place. He lived a perfect life for me. You're a liar, Satan. God's word tells me something different. And so with this double-edged sword of, of Christ on one side and, and liar on the other, we can, we can fight the devil. And there's a passage in James that says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I think that's a good way for us to enter this season of Lent is to pick up our swords and be ready to fight temptation, to fight, to cut down the enemy. And we do that because in Christ, we've already won. He's won the most epic battle for us to have the most epic celebrations. Amen.